I'm Grace, CEO and founder of Cultural Calculator, and this is The Culture Coach, where we share the wisdom and knowledge from the trailblazers who have broken new ground through their approach to leadership, team building, and ultimately creating cultural change for the better. Created and sponsored by Cultural Calculator. Today we've got with us Emmy, who is a serial entrepreneur. She is also the founder of a community I happen to be a part of, Female Founders Rise. It's been going for six months? Six months. Six months. And she's already built up thousands of female founders that are now a part of this. So I'm going to hand over to Emmy to introduce herself and her business. Thank you so much. It is really lovely to be here. My first podcast interview in real life I don't normally do that so you're special normally most people just get relegated to zoom so it's really good to be here um am I going to do a little extra introduction yeah yeah, yeah so little I am a mum of four I always say that first because that is the most fun the most challenging and I suppose I don't know I chose that bit um I am also a serial exited founder and as Grace was saying have set up Female Founders Rise which is a community for female founders I'm also an angel investor so I've invested in about I think I counted about 13 female founders since um September last year and yeah just happy to be here and also, Emmy and I actually met in this very room. So when I was filming episode one, Emmy was in here, I think, having a tour. Yeah, yeah. I was having a tour and I was like, are you part of Female Founders Rise? And you were like, no. And I was like, you should be. And now here we are. So yeah. that's awesome. But I would love, like, I remember even that day when I first met you and you kind of mentioned like, oh yeah, I've got four kids. And you mentioned what? six or seven businesses you've had in throughout your career yeah I think I just totted that up just before I saw you because I've never really thought about it before but if I'm talking about companies that I've registered I reckon it's way more than seven but yeah I mean probably six proper businesses well to me it's just (laughs) incredibly inspiring so far with zero children and one business under my belt like even just knowing that about you, I'm like, who are you? Like, how did this come to be? Like, who were your role models when you're younger? Like, what set you on this path of what you've created and continue to create now? Well, that's a good question. I don't know, really. I think, um, I was talking to someone about this the other day. I think growing up in Herefordshire, which is the middle of nowhere, there wasn't that much to do. And I really enjoyed my first job, which was in a cafe, because I was making money and it was keeping me busy. And then all sort of, I've always been interested in working. I think like the financial independence of it, um, and then sort of subsidizing myself to go traveling and doing fun things like that. Um, I definitely didn't necessarily enjoy those jobs, but I enjoyed the outcome of having money. and just being able to do what I wanted um, with that money because I did loads of traveling and stuff like that when I was younger. And then I think slowly I like found, you know, when I set up my first business, which was kind of an accident, um, I just really enjoyed it. And then that was when I was 25 and I'm now nearly 45. So I suppose that was the start, you know, of the 20 years of like realizing that I love entrepreneurship and I've never looked back. Well, I did look back for a tiny bit and it didn't work out. So I had a very short stint at Google for six weeks. 
which you probably never knew about because no one knows about it. Um, and when I saw my business, I went to work at Google um, and I left very shortly afterwards just because it wasn't, you know, I wasn't ever going to see my children and it was just so different to entrepreneurship. So it wasn't for me. That's so interesting. So yeah. in that six weeks, what happened? Are you allowed to say this? What happened that made you be like, no way, is this is not for me? I'm going to probably be doing an event with Google and I was talking to the guy there about it today, like, you know, that the fact that I'd worked there. Um, and actually two of the guys that worked for me ended up working there and they love it and it was perfect for them. You know, they were younger, they had no commitments, no kids at the time, they got kids now. Um, I think I'd gone from being like an entrepreneur running this business, selling more than one business, selling them. And then I went to work for a big corporate, which I'd never worked for before, which was quite a shock. I was also working for a guy who was much younger than me that didn't have kids. So he didn't really sort of get the whole kids thing. Um, I also went in much more junior. So like I'd gone from running a company to sort of going at account manager level, which was like just not really very exciting. Um, and I was in the gambling team because my agency had loads of expertise in gambling because that's what I that's the sort of industry I got, I, I ended up in um, out of uni and I just didn't feel passionate about it. Um, and whilst I was there, we sold one of our other businesses and I made quite a lot of money and, you know, I it just didn't make sense for me to stay. I wasn't seeing my family and yeah. So I actually cried a lot about leaving um, because it had been my dream to sort of work at Google because, you know, like Google is the epitome of amazingness. Um, I remember reading a book about Google, like right at the start. And I was like, wow, that business is amazing. And I thought that would be really good for my career to like go on from like running a business in entrepreneurship and then taking all my learnings and going into Google. Um, and the application had been really full on. So it took ages to get the role and I was really excited I got the job. And then it felt like I did feel a bit of a failure, which is probably why I didn't, you know, talk about it that much because I only lasted six weeks and it was 100% my decision to leave. But it was because I just couldn't see how it could work That's with my family. so interesting that ne like at the time you kind of considered that a failure I to know. make that decision for yourself. Mm. I cried a lot. I remember I had this amazing coach from when I was running my business and I called her up from, and I was in, you know, those little um, cubicles. I was in a cubicle in Google and I was crying and just saying like, you know, this is the best job. Everyone talks about Google being the best place to work. Um, am I mad? You know, am I going mad? Like jacking in this amazing job, should I give it more of a chance? But um, I think I made the right decision because obviously I wouldn't be where I am, wouldn't be here with you, wouldn't be doing Female Founders Rise. Um, hopefully I'm gonna be back at Google doing, you know, collaborating with them, which would be amazing. And yeah, I think it was the right decision. I think the other thing was my husband was also working at Microsoft at the time or Spotify, can't remember which one. Um, and for us both to have like these big jobs in that first six weeks, we were both away at the same time. And I was like, how can we do that? This was before COVID when everyone was traveling all the time um, for work and stuff. And, you know, we had three young children. I was like, who's gonna look after our kids? It's okay. Or it's not ideal to be traveling all the time, but if one of you's away and one of you's at work, it's kind of doable because we had childcare, but not when you're both away. So that was my six weeks at Google. My head is like, ding, 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 <laughs> like so many things I want to ask, but I feel like 
even just that story you just told illustrates so beautifully something about really tuning into what's right for you because like if anything it sounds like at the level of logic it's the things on paper right of like Google it's the dream job everyone wants to work here and how that can be so disruptive to accepting but is that my path and actually it can be quite scary going that's not my path I'm choosing this one when all the logical stuff on paper says this is fantastic um I always say there's so many um parallels with dating I think and Mm. careers because it's like almost meeting the perfect person on paper but if you don't feel it yeah you can't force it but like how scary it can be to go no Mm. and even at this early stage relatively with cultural calculator I've had multiple kind of opportunities or encounters come out come up be that you know co-founder opportunities investor opportunities acquisition opportunities where logically right like especially when you don't have loads of concrete evidence to fall back on that wait this doesn't feel 100% right I'm going to keep walking by myself like those are really scary moments in the past I didn't listen to my gut instinct but now I like 100% do like intuition for me is huge I people say I'm quite flitty like you know I'll start something and then I'll flip onto the next thing my husband's always saying you're always starting these new projects it's like what I'm doing is I start a project if I feel it's getting traction if I feel it's exciting if I get that gut feeling it's good I'll continue and if it doesn't boom it's gone and I'm on to the next one and with female founders rise I get there's an energy there's a buzz there's excitement it's like I can't keep up with the with everything that's going on and so that's that feels good to me whereas in the past I've done other things that are kind of slightly similar and I can just I can just feel it it's not that it's not there mm-hmm. and so I do really like judge my intu- I do really listen to my intuition and and I didn't in the past but I do feel that that's the message I was getting at Google so with that point as well you mentioned about like your partner and having these two big jobs because this is something that actually already plays on my mind mm. and I haven't even had kids yet and it's so like it's so weird because I have a partner who is so, 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 so supportive, like couldn't ask for more in that sense. And yet I have this like irrational fear or like burden, even pre having children where I think about shit, like what happens when that happens and almost like the responsibility I think of as being on me rather than obviously there's a joint negotiation that happens, but like by default, and I know that this must be somewhere like an unconscious bias towards myself because like I grew up with a mum that was you know a working mum role modeling that to me like a single mum in my early years so like really saw her like doing that stuff by herself but Mm. even with growing up seeing that I'm like why do I carry around this like feeling of like somehow one day that's going to be my responsibility to navigate or juggle or I don't know because I think it is, I think it still is, like, you know, my husband has been amazing. Um, he also has taken on a lot more because, for you know, I'm much better now. But basically, two years ago for 18 months, I was quite ill. I had long COVID and a breakdown and I was in a really bad way. And he pretty much took like 100, 100% of the, you know, jobs 
looking after the kids and now it's like probably he's probably still got more it's probably like 60 40 so that's amazing but before that and through no fault of his own it was like 80 20 just because as a mum the kids come to you you're on all the whatsapp groups so for school for example there's like four kids there's four whatsapp groups for each class you know for each class with all the mums on it asking like is it PE today? Have we got this today? And it's just like this constant noise from everywhere and all the activities that are going on at school, all the after-school clubs that have got to be paid for, that, um, all the weekend activities, all the parents' evening. And, and actually a lot of the communication comes to the mums as well. So I've noticed that like when there's a problem at school, they email me. Um, and Alex is brilliant now. He did all of the applications for the secondary schools, all the going to all of the new parents and that there's so, there was so much to do literally he's been to all of them and he's been to all the parents evenings brilliant he's on all the emails so that's amazing um but that in itself is like almost like a full-time job to keep on track on top of that and just by default the mums kind of do that and I think even though Alex is in does all that I still get the odd occasional email if there's a problem about a detention or that we're worried about this or that it just the default is email the mum so I think there's that. And then I think, you know, I was explaining to my little boy, who's five, I was telling him about the umbilical cord and how like we're connected. And I said, we know we're still connected. We've got this invisible string that connects you and me to each other. That's so cute. So I'm always there, even if I'm away and I know what's going on. And I kind of think it, there is actually something there. There is like this invisible something that connects us we've had a baby inside us and like as amazing as the partner is um you know you've had a growing live organism inside you kicking and giving birth to it and that connection will never go away and so I I don't know how like you know other people's partners are on her, but for me I can you know it's just that deep connection and you know if anything goes wrong it's a massive worry it's maybe we're I don't know what it is but it feels that there is it feels uh, not a burden because that sounds horrible um it's not a burden it's lovely but it's like a connection and a need and uh there's just so much Mm -hmm. having children yeah and however helpful the husband or partner is there's always I think a lot more for the mum and also there's just all the sort of stuff at home isn't there like you know a lot of the time the mum's doing you know we've seen in all the reports during COVID how like the women picked up the lion's share of all the sort of domestic work and and often I've got quite a few friends whose parents are aging as well and it's often the daughter's that are like the ones that take control. And I've even got one friend and her mum said, but you're my daughter. So like, and the brothers are just a bit like, well, I don't really need to worry so much. So we've got this responsibility on many ends. And and even if you've got someone who's really supportive, I still think. It's- That's funny, you're reminding me. So I've got an Irish grandma and I don't know whether this is an Irish saying or not, but it's, um, a son's a son till he takes a wife, a daughter's a daughter all your life. She yeah. literally says that. Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like my husband and my brothers are both amazing to yeah. their mums. And I think everyone's different. Totally. I do think things are changing. But I do think also the way that society is, the way that we've just been brought up, the way that everything is, is 
as a mum, you mm-hmm. do by default have that extra responsibility or maybe that's, you know, subconsciously that's I I don't know yeah. how it works. But also like what you're talking about there or something that's almost um like yeah, I guess is it some kind of consciousness or something like from what you're describing of that feeling of connection not that um you know other partners men whoever might not also have that but I was um recently doing a thing exploring like this idea of like what's your early holding environment like and when you really think about it typically right when we think of the start of someone's life it's when they've been given birth to but actually the start of someone's life is that moment of conception and their Mm. first experience of what an environment is that's holding them is their mother's womb like that's their first experience of being held by something and it's like well what kind of pregnancy is that mother having you know are they um being well looked up like all of these things that actually are about keeping and I remember my mum saying when it came to having my little brother and um my dad was in in our family by then and she said he knew like the best way of looking after the child was looking after me like he knew yeah it's amazing yeah isn't it and I think you know also if you have a child inside you they're used to your boys and everything so obviously that you've got that sort of connection that they feel safe so often they come to you that's the other thing like I found I think when you're sort of breastfeeding or you're feeding you know in the early days um then I I don't know I always found like sort of by default the children who come in the night and they'd come and find me so like I basically made my husband swap around, swap sides with me so that, you know, they'd come in that side and then it would be Alex. And sometimes this is another thing that I used to say, which someone taught me, which is so good, is you almost say like, tonight's my night and I'm in charge. And then tomorrow night is your night and you're in charge. So that as a mum, you can actually go to sleep knowing that you're going to get an amazing night's sleep because otherwise it's all the responsibility is always on you that when the child wakes up and then and then if you're trying to run a business as well which by the way I was you know for for three of my well actually all of my children um I was sort of running businesses or doing work and you're not sleeping you know it's really hard so it's really important that you both take it in turns to be the responsible one yeah so I on that note I'd love to hear like how you personally have found a way through running businesses and navigating that balance like how being a mum yeah it's really hard so I would say up until recently when I had the breakdown burnout long COVID I thought I managed it quite well Mm. so you know everyone was saying oh my god you're super successful you're like this wonder woman like it's not Wonder Woman, Superwoman, um, you know, running around, running businesses, doing my exercise, seeing my friends, being with my kids. I think early on when the kids were young, it was quite easy because we were quite strict and we had them in bed at seven o'clock every night. Um, and they, once we got them sleeping through the night, which is a massive challenge um, for everyone, um, and you're getting a good night's sleep, you know, it was kind of fine because I'd have a good night's sleep. We had, we've always had help because we've both been working. Um, and then we'd either go off to work for the day. And actually when you go to work, it's kind of a break because it's like you're back. When you go to work and you're in your work, you sort of forget about your family. It's just like you're back to the old Emmy, you know, the fun Emmy when you're, you know, you're hanging out with your work people and then you go back home, you see your kids. But I think when they go to bed at seven, you then had that evening to yourself and you had that time to just 
you know, I'd be with Alex or go and see my friends. We'd have people around for dinner. People come around and be like, oh my God, like, where are your children? And we'd be like, they're in bed. And so we'd have a really fun dinner and then we go to bed and it'd be fine. I think what happened with the two things that had made it much more difficult for me was as the children get older, they don't go to bed at seven. They want to go to bed at 10, half nine, 10. And so actually you have no downtime in the evening there's constantly people pottering around and wanting you know your advice or asking for stuff or you know around and you don't have that time off and then I think also in the pandemic I mean that was just a nightmare because we you had no time to yourself you just had a house full of children four of them needing way more time and energy from me than I had um and I think that's obviously basically what with long COVID made me like really ill. And also I decided to move my whole family to Wales um, and that didn't work out. And I had to move them all back again seven months later. So the, you know, the cumulative effect. Is that what we said? C- a cu- cumulative <laughs> effect of all of that was a breakdown, um, which obviously wasn't good. But the good part of that is that I've totally changed my life. This, you know, started angel investing, started female founders rise, stopped all my consulting, my husband's, you know, taken over the lion's share of everything. And just being like really aware that, I mean, it's kind of really difficult to do all that. It's really difficult to have it all. And I know some people say you can have it all. I'd think of your husband or your partner is like working full time on a full on job. Um, and you've got loads of kids and you want to have some kind of well-being, which is critical to success. And, and have a full-on job you know something has to give there's only so many hours in the day so you've mentioned you know pandemic was a really tough time juggling all of that stuff kind of did sort of burn you out mm. and there's been a massive reset it sounds mm. like for you so yeah, what's huge. like what's the kind of biggest things you've sort of taken forward I know the outputs has been female founders rise yeah. being an angel investor but for you personally like how has it affected the way that you sort of what you value, I guess, and the mm. way forward you sort of see for yourself. I think the biggest thing I value is my health and like feeling fine. So we, I was just, I can't remember who I was saying, but just had half term and we've seen so many friends and we, I went to Brighton and we went to Kew Gardens. Well, like six months ago, that wasn't possible. I couldn't meet up with people. I couldn't see friends. I was exhausted. I had this sensory overload. I couldn't, definitely couldn't be here. I couldn't have noise and too much sounds and stuff. Um, and so I think just, you know, I was thinking the other day, just being able to do that or the first female founders rise networking we had, we had 50 people and I had this sudden sort of like, oh my gosh, what's happening? And then I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And it all went really, really well. But previously, like I couldn't have even done that for five people because my anxiety, this sensory overwhelm, the long COVID, the just chronic fatigue I couldn't do anything that would like anything vaguely stressful would just send me like into a mess um and I just have to go to bed and I'd it it was really horrible so um no one knows what it was a mix of stress hormones and long COVID like that perfect because I'm 45 so probably that's the perimenopause um stress from everything from the pandemic plus long COVID and long COVID is made much worse by stress. So basically when, once I finally diagnosed, got diagnosed that that is what is likely wrong with me, um, I just cut out all my stress, started on anti-anxiety meds, got a therapist, 
stop consulting because that was a massive cause of my stress. Um, started reading fiction, which I've never done before. Started going on solo trips. So I've been on quite a few solo holidays, which obviously, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to do because I've got my husband who's been around to help. And also when I sold my business, I bought a house in Wales. I sold that in the summer. So with the profits from that, I've invested in female founders, but I've also had a bit of money to like look after myself. So I've been on quite a few solo trips, um, just setting boundaries, saying no to a lot of stuff, um, and then just doing the stuff that like brings me joy. So actually investing in female founders has just opened up a whole new world to me, which has been amazing. Doing Female Founders Rise again has just been fantastic because, you know, it. I really enjoy that and it brings me so much more purpose, I suppose, in doing my consulting, which I really wasn't enjoying. So other than those things, what else have I been doing? Started a choir. Did you? Yeah, so I started a choir. So again, I wanted to do a choir for ages and I'd had my name down and every time I got an email, I was like, I literally can't face it tonight. Like the thought of being with people I didn't know or the noise or like what happened if I felt weird because I'd always have these weird feelings where I couldn't like control myself and I'd want to leave so I couldn't do that so um and what next week I'm, was it next week or the week after I'm about to go and do ecstatic dance I don't even know what that means do you oh my gosh no but <laughs> please sign me up <laughs> yeah exactly so something to do with dancing around in a room with loads of people you don't know to some amazing music but no drinks. going to a rave <laughs> well it's kind of like seven till nine o'clock I think it's Glastonbury like... <laughs> so I'll let you know if it's any good but anyway I'm trying these new things like all the stuff I used to love doing like dancing and and also the one big big thing I'd say is the belief that I was going to get better I think that was so important it felt like I was in a bad way and I knew there was something wrong and it felt like it took so long, but I always knew that it was going to get better. God, I actually didn't realize that the, because you were kind of referencing six months ago, I wouldn't have been able to do this. And that sort of timeline runs with when you founded Female Founders yeah. Rise. So I had no idea that yeah. that journey with this has also been in parallel to you coming out of yeah. a really challenging Bad time. time. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really exciting. And I think the other thing I love about Female Founders Rise and Angel Investing is like, there's no pressure on me, you know, like no one's paying for it. I mean, at some point I probably will make money from it. But at the moment, it's just a passion project. You know, I'm doing my angel investing. If I fell ill, I could literally shut my laptop and just say, not, not, not doing anything for a week. And I think that's such a nice position to be in and one I need to be in for my mental health compared to what I've been in for the last four or five years where there's just been so much pressure on me from like my clients from my family from you know my husband also lost his job um in the pandemic and it was his lovely job he worked at Spotify he loved it it was his life it was his identity and that like tore him apart broke him so for me having to watch this like very energetic I mean you'll meet him on International Women's Day he's Will coming he is like the life and soul of the party he's such great fun everyone loves him he's brilliant fun and to see this him lose this job that he loved and he didn't understand why and just saw him like shrivel and that was kind of really scary as well so I think all of those things obviously led to the the overwhelm 
yeah but it's all better now well that's the thing it's it's weird isn't it how sometimes it's like um my mum always says the saying actually like the darkest hour is just before dawn mm. how it's almost for some of us sometimes if you're a high achieving person you almost get to that point where you've driven yourself into the ground there's so yeah. many colliding forces in life going you need to pause you need to stop you need to reset and it almost takes that before going boom like mm. that's it like it's almost like that's the snapping point for actually feeling assertive in terms of no I have to have boundaries like this is I've learned something so big from not that yeah. I, I literally can't it's Go not back. an option exactly exactly that's how I feel. And I also, I remember my friend saying to me right at the very beginning, before I even realized I was like about to spend a long time in a bad way, she said, what's going to come out of this will be amazing. And what you learn, you know, you'll be able to take with you. And I totally believe that because like, I think before with mental health, I was really into my mindfulness, my meditation. I did my gratitude, my journaling. I did all that. I was really, you know, did all my exercise and I could cope with everything. So I always used to think, why don't people just do more of that? Because it works really well. Um, and actually, I'm now on anti-anxiety meds, which, to be honest, when people used to tell me that in the past, I think, oh my gosh, poor them, that's terrible. You know, it, obviously it is terrible. I've had to go on that, but there's a solution. And I just think like, it's made me understand more that like sometimes meditation, mindfulness and journaling is not enough to like, get you through you know, a bad time. No way. And in fact, because I do meditation every day and, you know, I would say it's part of yeah. the picture, but equally, like if I wasn't processing my own material psychologically, like when you kind of think of even where meditation comes from, a lot of it is about transcending, like transcending the triggers of what's happening in life, like going above it, you know? But actually when you are in life and you're not living in a monastery and you're part of the day-to-day -day hustle and bustle with family pulling you one direction, work pulling you in another, any, you know, like any of life's triggers to actually not be equipped to understand what in me is getting triggered and understanding that piece, transcending it isn't really going to fly yeah. in those moments. Mm. And I think when I got the anti-anxiety meds, the doctor said, you need to have therapy as well, which is also amazing. And another one of my friends who had been struggling, she said, you're talking to someone, aren't you? And I was like, no, because you always feel like, I don't know, in the past I sort of felt, I don't really need to but that has been an amazing game changer like I used to have business coaches and everything and she's like a kind of she's everything all in one um and it's just amazing to have someone who like understands like my family and my work and you know so that's been really helpful what's the effect do you think it's had on you like giving yourself that opportunity to have someone that you can sort of dive deeper into yourself with like what do you think the effect I think it's just been I think it's well it's definitely helped me get better um I think just having that knowledge that I've got someone there is yeah. really good um I also think like what what I've realized I I like is like I don't I speak to like once every two or three weeks now but um 
if something has like worried me or triggered me, whereas before it might be think going round and round in my head thinking like, have I done the right thing? Should I do this? Should I not? I like to say, oh, I'm going to talk to Lindsay about that when I next call. And then I remember it. And then I talk to her about it and it feels better. So like, for example, really just being aware that I don't want to take on too much at the moment because of mm-hmm. what's happened in the past. But also, like you said, being driven, you know, you want to take on everything. And I think... One of the things actually, and you know, and you obviously understand what the space I'm in, but like what is female founders rise? Is it a community? Is it this? Is it that? Is it getting more female founders funded? And I could see myself going down this road of basically saying, join female founders rise and you're more, you're going to, you know, you're more likely to get funded. And I was like, I actually don't want that pressure because that's not my, I can't decide, you know, if you join female founders rise, I can't say whether you're going to get more funding because I can, you know, do everything I want to to try and introduce you to investors, but they might not want to come or they, you know, they might. And I felt like that was like a real pressure suddenly. Um, And, you know, people saying, what are your KPIs? And And I was like, hang on a minute. Do I want to put my name to this? Something that I actually can't control. And that was kind of stressing me out a bit. And I was like, hang on a minute. I'm feeling stressed. This was not the purpose. I'm doing this as a little project fun. Obviously, it's like taken off. Um, And she was really brilliant. So I just put in the back of my head, I need to talk to her about that. Actually, I'd made my own decision before I talked to her that I'm going to pull back a bit. And then I can have that conversation with her. And it feels like I don't have to be just worrying about it on my own all the time. It also sounds like you've gotten really like amazing at recognizing the red flag signs yeah. of when, you know, oh, like this is tipping me into a place. Actually, it doesn't feel good. So I'm going to pull yeah. back. Like, you know, it's when we don't recognize those red flags in ourselves, we mm. end up going down a yeah. rabbit hole that we just don't actually need to go down. Exactly. And I think that's the intuition as well, isn't it? It's like, oh, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel good. I know. I know this is how it felt before. Like you said, I mean, obviously I went way down the wrong, you know, far too far. But yeah, I think it's that. It's just, you know, being aware and being kinder. Yeah. Trying to not push myself too much. That's the other thing. Yeah. And understanding where is that push coming from? (laughs) I know. I don't know. (laughs) But let's talk about Female Founders Rise because, you know, it's interesting as well, even hearing you say like, oh, you know, do I market it as I can get you more investment? Because obviously I joined that by actually just having met you. Mm. Like meeting you made me be like, oh, what's this about? And then turning up to your events. Like I can honestly say like, especially in the last one, (laughs) I turned up and May, who you've invested in, in May's business, and Emmy spent the whole event like having to separate me and makes. We're like, boom, like magnets in the corner. And she's like, yeah. you're not really helping yourselves by just talking to each other. Yeah. Um, so we got separated. But anyways, um, I turned up that day like really overwhelmed in conversations um, with kind of different opportunities and working out what's my way forward for cultural calculator and may said like god yeah you do you look a bit sad i was like i feel a bit sad actually like i'm just like wow it's a lot to think about and i left that event just booming i was booming down the street after this because there is something about the energy of what you've created which you know like I said I didn't I didn't join because it was necessarily going to get me anywhere but I do know that when I'm there and in that space with all of these amazing women you've gathered together 
it's a really good feeling. Mm. It's interesting, actually. So we had a few investors at that one, and I asked um, some one of the investors, and he said it was so interesting because he said it's a different vibe to what I've ever had in a room with women. And he also said the other thing that was amazing is when I was talking to lots of women in a group, they were never sort of barging each other out and wanting to get in. They were like really supportive of each other and like saying, come on, you you know, and almost like championing each other. So rather than it being this sort of like aggressive, I need to get and chat to the investor, the VC has got money, everyone was lifting each other up. And I was just like, that's exactly what, you know, I hope would, would, would love and hope for. Um, so yeah, and it's really interesting. So I'm doing some research. I did a survey and I think about 150 of the thousand or so people have answered it and I will keep bashing away and making everyone do it but when I say why did you join female founders rise or what's the best thing interestingly most people don't say it's about getting investment most people have said the amazing community the amazing women quite a lot of people have said me Um, but you know (laughs) a lot of people have actually said about the community and then a lot of people have said the quality of the masterclasses and stuff like that because obviously with my background, I'm only pulling in the best people. I'm only going to put the best people out there running masterclasses and Q&As and stuff. So they're really high quality. But I actually think it's having a safe space to have fun, to meet other women, like-minded women coming together. And I believe that community is like really important. Um, and also I was talking with Barty, who is the female founder of The Amazing Venue. And we were talking today just about how networking is so important, even not necessarily just networking with the people with money or power influence, but networking with each other because we're all connected to investors, we're all connected to angels, we're all married married or partners or got mums or dads or brothers or siblings or whatever in jobs and some you just don't know who's connected to who. And actually building relationships is what is critical to growth and success. And so sometimes I actually think, that for me is more important and probably that's where I initially wanted to head with Female Founders Rise it's more like a community for networking the best resources I like and championing women so is that still where it's heading that is that is where I believe it will head I think I'd love to see more female founders get funded and I think that will be that's the the segment I suppose if you're looking at who are the women that it's set up for it probably is those women that are like got a limited company or planning to have a limited company planning to might be getting um funding or have had funding so that kind of segment rather than you know all female entrepreneurs um but without having a background in venture capital and without having all those contacts and without really understanding what is this big reason why women aren't getting investing invested I can't put my name to getting more female founders funded. But what I do think is that if you're part of Female Founders Rise, through the community, through the support, through the masterclasses, you probably would be more likely to get funded. Um, And the other thing I'm thinking is there's loads of accelerators. Some of them are really good. Some of them not so good. Some take money. Some take investment. Lots, a couple of my investees have said, you know, I'm really good at marketing. That's my background. I've had 20 years in marketing and growth. Um, And a lot of these accelerators maybe don't understand that. So what I'm kind of thinking is that almost if you're a member of Female Founders Rise, you wouldn't, and this might be a paid for offering, you wouldn't need to do an accelerator because you would do the, the bits that you need from experts. So it's almost like you want to get pitched at ready. We've got loads of sessions on that. You want to practice your, um, you know, pitching, got sessions on that. 
or you just want to come and hang out with amazing women, come and hang out with us. I don't know. We'll have to do. I'm interviewing 12 women this week to find out what they think. 12 women who are raising. I never expected it to be a 50-50 situation with, with venture capital, but the start of it being, you know, a record-breaking year last year and less than 2% went to female-founded businesses. Like, it genuinely did really, really shock me. Yeah, it upsets me. And, you know, this is another thing that I have. I keep, you know, we keep seeing all these reports and all the stats and, you know, the latest stats about if you have um, only have female... BC funding or angel funding, you're less likely to secure a second round. So there's like all these sort of depressing stats that keep coming at us. And I remember, you know, the it was the state of European tech came out and it said like less than 2% funding goes to women. And I was like, enough's enough. Everyone was like saying, what's going on? This is terrible. And I was like, there's got to be an answer. I was like, I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to find it out and I'm going to sort it out. <laughs> I was so naive. So first of all, I'm like, right, let's get to the bottom of this. Try and get to the bottom of it. Can, cannot get any answers from anyone apart from you know there's not enough warm introductions the there is conscious and subconscious bias there's not enough deal flow you know there's all these different reasons which are probably all like legitimate reasons to a point so then I thought I set up a VC fund then I realized that a that's ridiculously expensive and I don't have any background in venture capital so it wouldn't be taken seriously so that came off the table so it is a really horrible depressing annoying statistic and it's out there and it's like I thought I could do something about it and I spent like two or three months like talking to loads of VCs trying to do these events where I'm connecting um networking just like you know light touch networking um and speaking to so many knowledgeable people and it just feels like it's gonna someone said to me it's gonna be a marathon not a sprint I thought I think I thought I can just change it, you know, I can just yeah. work really hard. Because I'm like that, I want to get a job at Google, I'll get a job at Google. I'll yeah. just work really hard and I'll get it, and I did, you know. I'll set up Female Founders Rise, I'll work really hard and I'll make it work. So I think I thought that I would be able to, not single-handedly, but by creating something, I'd be able to connect more VCs with more female founders, but I don't think that's a problem. They say they don't have enough deal for and they say they're not meeting enough female founders, but then when I try and connect them, that doesn't seem to be the problem. They say that maybe the female founders aren't VC back or businesses or they're not this or, you know, it's very difficult to know what to believe because everybody tells you something different. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as well. Cause I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but you know, with building my business, because if I sell something, I'm also the person delivering that work. Mm. I'm also the person managing the tech team. When I sell something, I often want to use that money to invest in building more tech. And then I've been told so many times, raising money, it's a full-time job. Yes. Like, you know, don't you're going to... you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, right. So like, it's a full-time job. And I'm like, I literally can't add another thing in. Like, I would be absolutely screwed. Like, I don't have time to go around for six months being told no by a million people I'd rather be delivering work for my clients exactly um, and getting traction right but you know having said that conversations have naturally ended up happening but the thing that really ha I've kind of like heard from day one is like about VC like unless you're willing to walk in a room and say yep with complete confidence I am building a unicorn business yeah. just don't bother and I kind of wonder <laughs> whether that kind of sets up the system for a certain kind of person potentially 
I don't know. But looking at the statistics, like, I do wonder that. Like, I, I heard um really great female founder actually talking about the unconscious bias of women tend to be judged on their track record of performance, men to be judged on their potential. Well, if you're an early stage business as a woman, you don't have a track record of performance and you want someone to buy into the potential of a unicorn business. Like, I kind of just wonder. I think there's so many things, aren't there? And also there's the whole like, you know, You've got to have be a you've got to have a tech co-founder or someone in the business who understands tech and there's way less women in tech, so that's obviously a problem. And then just, you know, looking at I feel like it's the same about working in VC or getting into VC. You have to tick all these boxes in order to sort of get funding. Or if you've been to this university and um I was talking to someone actually and he was saying that that VCs typically only go to the universities on the north of the river. Um, not the south of the river to, to they, they have these sort you know how like universities are now spanning out these spinning, spinning out these sort of accelerators yeah. and so VCs know because those universities have what they believe to be higher caliber I don't know students or not students but like accelerators or whatever it is and so it's almost like they just won't look at someone who's not boom ticked all those boxes yeah. and often it's the white men that are ticking those boxes or like you know a lot of female founders they might have children um and so they might not be able to go to like the things in the evening that's why with female founders rise we don't do that much we don't do everything in the evening we try and do stuff in the day as well um they might not be able to join all these accelerators because they just might not have that extra time so often the women's um pitch decks and stuff aren't anywhere near as finished polished Mm. so lots of things to think about and, and you know sometimes like I get depressed about that and I think is there any point trying to make change but like I will try and make my bit of change exactly. that I can do which probably for me is the community lifting people up making people feel good um, and giving them the sort of the fundamental building blocks of the businessy type stuff yeah so that they are in a position that they can get funded yeah and there's that model right of like what you can control what you can influence and then the zone of concern which is like I can't influence it I can't control it and arguably what you're doing with female founders rise is you're really maximizing both your zones of control and influence influencing like you said might be a marathon rather than a sprint but like you are bit by bit influencing. And if you haven't watched, there is literally the most amazing 25 minute episode on Netflix called Live to Lead with Greta Thornburg, oh, which is that. so interesting. Because when you think about the climate crisis, that's often something that is so zone of con- concern vibes. Like it feels so overwhelming, so big. And listening to her talk about the process she went through, which sounded like she did hit a very depressed place before going, no, I'm going to maximize what I can do sort Mm. of thing, but almost took going into like a really dark place to go Mm. to snap into Mm. the influential space, I guess. Mm. Yeah. It's so tricky, isn't it? And I think that's the thing is just thinking like, what am I good at? What do I enjoy? Do that because other people can do the other stuff. And a lot of it is out of my control anyway. Like Mm. we need more women in VC in senior you know roles Mm. because also like I was talking to some younger guys in VC and they were saying like some of the older guys that they work with they just you know 
they they don't necessarily understand all these businesses that women are running because often it might be you know to do with our women's well-being and stuff like that and actually if you show them menstrual cups or something to do with the menopause or perimenopause they're probably thinking they just cannot fathom you know that it could be massive or that it's needed because they don't get it you know Mm. and so obviously if you had more women who understand this is an amazing idea then more money would get funneled into it so we have a few questions we ask every guest and you know a massive reason I wanted you here is because I look at you as someone that really is creating cultural change with what you're doing and what's driving you with Female Founders Rise. So, Oh, bless you. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> the first question is thinking about kind of workplace culture from your experience and your career, what makes a toxic culture? Mm, that's interesting. For me, it is about who you report into and therefore it's about the managers having, you know, training, having empathy, but also being also there being some kind of checks and balances in place to make sure that they are really supporting the people that work for them because that's that's where the toxic bit is I think is essentially even if the person running the business is amazing and you love them if the person you report into is treating you like you know that's going to be bad for your mental well-being so yeah I think that's I think that's a big thing yeah it's interesting you say that because um the the Netflix I can't even remember what it's called like no oh, no rules something book about their culture and the founder talks about how they had like the no holiday limit kind yeah. of policy but what they found is no matter how much they advertise like the most senior leaders going on all these holidays having the best time they noticed the teams where more junior people felt free to go on holidays were the ones where their direct manager was role modeling doing it and then the teams that had managers that never went on holidays yeah. it was a massive problem because everyone in the team was too scared to go on holiday so like it didn't even matter having the top level role modeling something actually the direct managers had the biggest influence in terms of the behavior of the rest of yeah. that team what makes a great culture so I always remember working for my first boss just up the road from here, Anna. She was amazing. And she just looked after us so well. And then I did some work for her over in Mallorca. We went to Mallorca. And, you know, she could have just hired us a little tiny apartment. But we, she hired this amazing place with a pool, which is like about five-bedroom villa in the center of Palma. I mean, it was just like incredible. And, and you know, like we loved it. We worked really hard for it. And actually, I ended up making her loads and loads and loads of money. So I think she really taught me, like, how important it is to have that trust and look after your team. And I really tried to do that with um, the team that worked for me. Yeah, it's almost like how generosity, Yeah, like it's almost like this invisible thing where you don't know when stuff comes back around and it's almost better when there's no agenda for it. But actually, like, I can think back to working for people that really role modeled that kind of thing to me. And it it left such a mark in terms of people feeling so, like like you said, wanting to really work hard because you felt like you had someone yeah. that cared about, you know, are you enjoying your job? Are you having a good time yeah. doing it? 
And I think that's what I really tried to do when um, we set, when we had Jack Media was I took on a lot of students, placement students, and I really used to love like training them up. And I'd always remember saying to them, you must have a blog, get yourself a blog. This was like 15 years ago. It doesn't matter what you write about, it could be your passion, but then at least when you go on to get your next job, you can say to people, you know, I've worked in digital marketing, I've got a blog, you'd have stuff to show for it. And I really like tried to train them up you know and it would be like and I loved it and loads of the people that work for me have gone on to run their own businesses they're at Google they're at Facebook they've all got like amazing jobs and I feel like that was something that I really loved was to like really mentor them I was absolutely I'd when they hand their notice in I'd feel like oh my god I can't believe you're handing your notice in it's like one of your children you know (laughs) leaving um and some that you know more so than others if they've been for a while but then I did also just feel really proud of like you know where they'd got to so I think she definitely instilled that in me beautiful so the final question is what is the ultimate tip you could offer to create cultural change for the better oh I think you know I think for me the whole well-being thing is so huge Mm. I think it's massive I think whether it's like your own business, whether you work in a business as a manager, whether you're running a startup, whether it's just you. I think just because I've had such a bad time, but like come out the other side and realize that like your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, your mental well-being, you know, your everything is so important and to have it all in balance as well. Mm. And, you know, not just doing physical stuff's not going to touch, you know, you need to have everything and just to be so aware of it and when you're driven you can push yourself too far can't you and you can always be like well that's a luxury you know you hear people saying I don't have time to do mindfulness or well or or," like what do you mean you don't have time for it I mean I know I don't I don't have time but like quite often if I'm feeling a bit you know overwhelmed I just go to bed at half nine boom straight down and then oh no and the next day I wake up feeling better So I do think, and I think it's getting better, but there has been this real hustle, you know, work really hard, startup work really hard, agencies work really hard. And it's just like, that is so bad. Yeah. It's funny because the last episode was with Hector from the founder of Unplugged. And he talked a lot about how much he looks at it as this massive responsibility for him as a leader to make sure he is in the calmest state he can be yeah. in. Like if something goes wrong, that he is able to show up serene and able to navigate that. And that is a massive priority for him. And it's it's interesting, I think, that sometimes leaders forget that, that like their well-being there's a sense of actually responsibility yeah. for how that can trickle onto others if it's not something you're taking care of or prioritizing. And also, and I always say this to my husband when he was like running teams at Spotify and stuff, like the behavior that you show your team will be followed by them. So if you're answering emails on holiday, then they think they should, if you're taking calls on holiday. Totally. You know, if you don't take your paternity leave, so he got uh, amazingly at Spotify, they had six months paid paternity leave, which is insane probably why we had our fourth baby um (laughs) and he took that over three years so he had like two months every summer um and I just say to him you need to take that because if you don't take that because you and actually probably you know sometimes he was feeling pressure from his boss um but then the people that work for you will feel that they can't take that exactly and the whatsapp they used to whatsapp every night they had this 
group WhatsApp. And I was like, you you know, and it's because they're all around the world. But I was like, that's really infringing on people's evening. You know, like they probably just feel like they have to be part of it. And he's like, yeah, but we're all friends, you know. And I, and I get that because often people, when you work with people, you are friends as well. So it's like, how do you navigate that as an individual mm. with your workmates and not talk about work. Um, and also, I, I mean, I saw, is it Portugal where they say you can't contact anyone after work? Oh after my gosh, work. really? Yeah, it's like, you're, it's not, you're now not allowed to contact anyone that works for you after work. And I kind of think that's quite good. Yeah. That's, my friend's actually about to move to Denmark. And you know how they're like voted like the happiest people yeah. and she works for Lego, you know who yeah. you are. Yeah. And um, she's been reading this book about this woman moved there because her husband worked at Lego and she's a writer. And so she wrote this book about trying to find out why they're so happy. Anyways, they all finish work at 4 p.m. every day, 3 p.m. on a Friday. And they all do after, like, it sounds school. like after school classes. Like, so they all have hobbies. Like, it's like a... That's such lovely. Yeah, after yeah. school club. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, but yeah, no, there's so much, I think, in what you're saying in terms of managing those boundaries like me and me and Ed my partner like we just have a firm rule now no talking about work in the bedroom like mm. once that door Do is closed together? no 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 oh, but right. like because I think it's a bit addictive isn't it yeah. when you have a business like for me especially to yes because there's always things to be like working out yeah. and I always want another opinion and actually like I've realized like no like when going to sleep like into the room I'm meant to be going to sleep in I need to not be mm. talking about that. Very quickly, I also think Slack. I don't know, I just, I've talked to friends who are like, you know, they've got their Slack on all night and there's stuff going on Slack and she said, if I don't keep up with it, I'll have missed out and I'll be behind it. And there was this like anxiety about Slack and it was like, but it's 10 o'clock at night, babe, what are you talking about? And I so like, I can see how Slack's an amazing piece of software platform I personally don't really want to go on it. And I've been thinking, should we have something like Slack for Female Founders Rise? I mean, I personally don't want to manage it. I'd have to get someone to manage it for me. But I also think that that's like another whole channel for people to worry about. Yeah. I mean, let's see what happens in your interview. But from my perspective, I'm like, I'm so rubbish at checking community Slack channels. Like, yeah, I think people are. And actually yeah. one of the reasons like with the WhatsApp, it's just a WhatsApp that I can remind people what's happening mm -hmm. because I don't want, and I believe that most people who are busy female founders, they don't want a barrage of like, literally, it's like, if you want to know something, you can come along to one of our, um, you know, Q&As, or you can come to something and, and you can ask the question, you can get the information. But I think there's so much just noise everywhere. Totally. That actually more WhatsApp channels, more Slack channels, it's very distracting for everyone. And I think that's another big um, trigger of the you know mental well-being yeah Men not the opposite of mental well-being Ment <laughs> mental not well-being yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, additional stress anyway sorry I, just, I keep rambling on we probably need to finish we, we are wrapping up <laughs> but Emmy thank you so so much and if there are any female founders listening definitely look up Female Founders Rise because I can absolutely vouch for the fact it's a really special community that you've created. Oh, bless you. Thank you.